Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Hello and welcome in to the Jeff Andreas Show here on Thursday, January the 16th. And thank you as always for tuning in. On today's show, the city of Kamloops has expanded its revitalization tax exemption for the areas of the city center and North Shore. The change means that a 10-year 100% tax exemption on municipal portion of taxes, which will apply to new commercial buildings as well, whereas before it was more specific and significant renovation projects that applied. Well, I'll be joined by the Kamloops Chamber President Joshua Nack in the back half of the show to discuss the RTE. To end things off, I'll be joined by Environment Canada. Want to know exactly when this cold snap will come to an end? Well, tune in at around the 50-minute mark of the program to find out. And coming up in about 10 minutes, I'll be joined by Toronto Star reporter Alex Ballingall to discuss his latest piece looking at what compensation is coming for families of the 57 victims who were killed when the Iranian military shot down a commercial airliner last week. But to begin today's show, I am joined by BC's director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Chris Sims. Chris, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having us on. All right, so I, I reached out to you after I saw you put out this call on Twitter. So you were asking for some gas bills, showing the carbon tax in an effort to lobby the government to, you know, axe this carbon tax, if you will. So uh, maybe just tell me a little bit about why this call is going out right now. It's going out right now, frankly, because it's so bloody cold outside. Uh, I think most people are quite appreciative of the natural resources that we have when the temperature drops so low. So, uh, for example, here in the Fraser Valley with the wind yesterday, when a lot of us woke up here near Chilliwack, uh, the wind was actually minus 29 degrees, which is crazy for this region of BC, as you all know. So I found that very interesting. And so for most folks in BC who use natural gas, a lot of times, they'll still email us or they'll send us a note and they'll say they're surprised that quite often the fee for the carbon tax on their natural gas bill can sometimes be higher than their usage. Now that's usually in the shoulder seasons around fall and spring. What I was really interested in and I wanted to see the actual math on someone's bill if they could send it to me was in the deep of winter in mid-January what does that still look like? So when you'd expect the customer to be using the most natural gas at peak season, I'd like to know what that translates to for the carbon tax here in BC. So I put out the call and I'm hoping some folks will send me copies of their bills and I, of course, will protect their address. Now, when you're making this call, I guess, you know, is, is you're just collecting any and all bills specifically or, or are you just looking for, you know, people who are, um, you know, maybe a little more surprised by some of the charges that they're seeing? I guess, what is the criteria that you're looking for when, when, when making this call? up bill. You know, if they think it's low, if they think it's high, middle range, I don't really care either way. I want the actual data to be able to show folks, at least anecdotally, a real person with a real story. Because as we know in media, you can have all the data and the stats you want, but unless you actually put a name or an example to that data and those stats, it doesn't really feel real for lots of people. And so that's why I put out the call that way. Also, on a grand scale, uh, folks out in the prairies are getting hit with the carbon tax for the first time in many cases. And when they're drying grain, and these are some things that I didn't know, if you're drying grain that you've harvested, they often use either natural gas or propane. 
both of which are subject to the carbon tax. And some of the bills we were seeing there from farmers were staggering. I mean, tens of thousands of dollars on one bill for the carbon tax because they harvest the grain and then they send them all through this big industrial dryer and they of course use fuel to do that so i was really interested to see what that looks like more on a household scale on your average property scale here in bc and so i put out the call just asking folks hey if you have a minute uh pop it in the email and send it to me and uh, i'd like to be able to use the data in an upcoming column yeah, when, when you're talking about, uh, you know, those in the prairies having to pay this now for the first time, I guess, are they paying close attention to what's happening in B.C.? Have you have you had some conversations with, with your colleagues, with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation in those other provinces that are now, you know, just sort of having this come online? Are they paying close attention? Are you guys having good discussion about sort of what this looks like in B.C.? to so figure out what it could look like there moving forward? Yes, exactly. You really hit the nail on the head there. Uh, we are the canary in the coal mine. As you know, BC was the first jurisdiction in Canada to introduce a carbon tax back in 2008. And so we're the guinea pig. And so I try to explain this to my colleagues across the rest of the country and to just average people who are suddenly being shocked by this new tax bill that they're getting and explain to them what's happened here in BC. And the examples I use here in BC are pretty disturbing. So back in 2008, when it was first launched, politicians back then told us lots of things. They said that it was always going to be revenue neutral. I put that in air quotes. Uh, they said it was going to stop at $30 a ton. They said that it would create a plethora of affordable alternative energies and that it would reduce emissions. That was back in 2008 when they launched this carbon tax. Today, uh, in 2020, none of those things is true. Our emissions are actually going up. It is now $40 a ton. It is slated to go to $50 a ton. It goes into general revenue, and it's no longer even called revenue neutral. A lot of folks don't know that. Um, it's no longer even called that. Now, to be fair, it wasn't revenue neutral in practice for many years before the NDP even took over. They actually did a funny little accounting trick where, say, they collected $1.4 billion with a B in the carbon tax. They stuck it in a little box in the budget, and then they gathered up random tax credits, like uh, senior citizens tax credits, children's fitness tax credits, film tax credits, you name it, and they shoved it inside that carbon tax revenue box and made it balance out to zero. That's all that meant. Mm. They meant they collected it and then they just tax credited it randomly with everything else that exists in other provinces. So, for example, obviously senior citizens tax credits and children's fitness tax credits exist in most jurisdictions across Canada. Same thing here in B.C., but they just did a little accounting trick. So now, going forward, it's not even called revenue neutral anymore, and it goes straight into general revenue while emissions are going up. So I try to use B.C. as kind of a warning, saying when politicians are promising you that you're going to get it all back in rebates or it won't cost you any money or you'll even get more money back magically somehow, um, they should use B.C. as an example. Yeah, I'm sure most people are, are very skeptical when it comes to some of those terminologies that are used by government. I mean, uh, you know, you, you always have to read between the lines, right? Um, Absolutely. So with all of that in mind, um, you know, I guess, what are you exactly hoping to do with, uh, you know, this information? So you mentioned you're going to put together a, a paper on, on some of the information that you're going to collect, on the data you're going to collect, and you receive some of these uh, gas bills from members of the public to see just how much they are paying on this carbon tax. Uh, what, what are you planning to do with that information 
then moving forward? I mean, I assume you're planning to try to lobby the government to uh, axe this carbon tax as it stands right now. Uh, I don't think that would be something that will happen with this current term of government, but we probably have an election coming up in the not-too-distant future, so uh, I guess this would make sense in terms of timing to, to bring this issue forward as something that could be debated. Yes, exactly. So twofold. Uh, one, I'm always trying to be hopeful, uh, even with current government. So for example, back when the NDP many years ago were in opposition, including Mr. Horgan and including the current finance minister, they were lobbying against the carbon tax vehemently. They said that they need to axe the tax. They said that this was an unfair tax on working people simply trying to heat their homes and get to work. And in fact, Carol James, uh, who's now finance minister, called the label of revenue neutral on the carbon tax lipstick on a pig so they were very much against it because they found it to be a punishing tax on just your average working person uh, now that they're in government unfortunately the tune has changed but i still think that there are enough folks who naturally support the ndp who do feel this is unfair who do feel that simply by heating our homes or driving to work or dropping our kids off at school or buying groceries living um, that we're being unfairly taxed so i'm always holding out hope they'll change their mind on the other side of things on the opposition side of things uh, perhaps now that the bc liberals have seen uh, that the carbon tax doesn't work as advertised all it is is a massive revenue generating tool for government and our emissions keep going up anyway that maybe they'll say you know what um we tried that it didn't work let's reverse it let's let's cancel the carbon tax and one of the reasons why i'm hopeful they'll do that is because actually provincially a lot of bc liberal held ridings overlap with federal conservative held ridings and if you go to your MP's office, if he or she is conservative, they will often say we are absolutely 100% completely against the carbon tax. Go down the street, go to your MLA's office, if they happen to be a BC Liberal, ask them that same question. Very curious. <laughs> well, that is the case here, so uh, I wonder if anyone will go about doing that. Maybe I'll have to go do that myself. Right. Um, I'll get you out of here on this, Chris, just so people who are listening and do want to uh, you know, send you the data that they have uh, when it comes to their gas bill and, and let you know what's on there. How do they go about uh, sending that information to you? I would absolutely love that, and of course, I will protect their street address and their name, obviously. Uh, if they could please email it to me, you can go through our website, taxpayer.com. You can find my information there, or if they happen to have a pen in their hand right now, my email is ksims, K-S-I-M-S, at taxpayer.com. Awesome. Well, Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show. Always appreciate it, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what comes of this. Hopefully, you get a lot of submissions. Oh, me too, and uh, thank you, and everybody stay warm out there. Oh, we won't. We I can pretty much <laughs> promise that. Oh, awesome. Take care. Thanks, Chris. Bye. That was BC Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, Chris Sims. Like I had said, she has put out the call here looking for those gas bills for members of the public in an effort to lobby the government to axe the carbon tax. Uh, it comes at a time when, uh, you know, we are using a little more gas to heat our homes, so the uh, timing of this call makes perfect sense. Uh, coming up after the break, I'm going to be talking with Toronto Star reporter Alex Ballingall as he follows the situation that's unfolding in Ottawa as it relates to the plane crash in Tehran. We'll have more on that after this. <laughs> Digging deeper into the day's top stories, you're listening to Jeff Andreas on 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. 
It is Thursday, and thank you for listening to me here on Radio NL. Yesterday, the federal government was discussing compensation for families of the 57 victims who were killed when the Iranian military shot down a commercial airliner last week. The parliamentary secretary to the prime minister said the government may compensate victims' families as Canada pushes for a more active role in the Iranian-led investigation into how and why that plane was shot down. Here to discuss this is the man who wrote a piece for the Toronto Star on this, Mr. Alex Ballingall. Alex, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show here. No worries, Jeff. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, maybe just tell us a little bit about your piece here that you wrote and just summarize it as best you can, because we've seen this kind of developing here, this whole story over the next, uh, well, here earlier this morning with this meeting that was taking place in London. Um, so, so yesterday, I mean, you wrote a piece talking about, um, you know, compensation that might potentially be going out to these victims' families uh, across Canada. We've seen, you know, the pictures and the names slowly be coming out here, and, and this really has been a, a nationwide issue uh, when talking about where different victims are from. Um, so, so what are we looking at here when we're talking about compensation and, and and sort of how are you interpreting what the government is looking to do when talking about our own situation here in Canada? So basically, from what I gather from talking to you know, some MPs and, and being at the uh, press conference that they had an update with uh, about the situation on, on Parliament Hill yesterday, is that there's so many people who's, like the, whether it's the breadwinner of the family has been lost or, or they don't have the funds to uh, necessarily... Uh, you know, get over there and, and try and um, uh, repatriate the bodies and, and deal with all that so that it, it, in the interim when the, these families are reeling and potentially being unable to even uh, sustain their, their, their lifestyles or, or make ends meet by having lost somebody important in their family, um, the idea that the government is, is that the government could provide them some sort of temporary relief and support financially as they wait for this whole process of the investigation, which is there's still so many question marks about whether Iran um, will end up, you know, uh, holding individuals to justice, whether the government of Iran might compensate the families uh, of victims that were killed when they shot down this plane. So the idea, at least, and I'm told this is in early phases mm -hmm. that, that of, uh, you know, our government's discussions with these families, but that there could be some sort of uh, compensation package in the interim period as we wait for an investigation and a judicial process that we have no real control over, and that could take weeks, months, potentially more than a year, years. We, we really have no clue at this point. So the idea, that I, I, from what I hear, is that, you know, get in and, and help these families get through this period um, when they might have lost somebody who was their breadwinner. Yeah, and this compensation, like you had mentioned, it sounds like it could take many different forms. Um, so we'll, we'll be watching to see kind of what rolls out here. Um, but the the one thing that kind of strikes me is that they're saying the word they they may compensate victims' families, and that was you know it, it's not a, a, a necessarily a done deal. It's not something that's been approved or or uh, you know 100% confirmed that this is going to happen. I guess what what do you think um, you know is is the holdup there? I mean, what are they waiting for to to make the commitment to to release this compensation? I think uh, uh, they they just got to really figure out you know how much, who needs it, what do they need. Um, I think it's it's just a matter of discussing and figuring out like crossing the teeth down the eyes. I think, but they, they what they say is they're in the early stages of this, so they haven't made any final decisions about how this is going to work. And and their focus really, I think, in the short term, as they say, is on helping the families. Um, you know, if people need to get into Iran. Uh, to you know, help identify bodies, potentially bring uh, the remains of their loved ones back to Canada, or make the decision to have them have them uh, buried in Iran, um, and then also getting Canadian uh, transportation investigators involved 
in this investigation, involved in analyzing the black boxes, um, involved in, in, in uh, you know, looking at the wreckage and all these things. They really want um, Canadian boots on the ground and a Canadian hand in, in looking at, 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 uh, at the wreckage and at, at the investigation. So, so the government is saying, you know, our, their focus right now is, is really those immediate things, pressing for a, for a thorough and transparent investigation, and then also helping these families deal with, like, the immediate consequences of what's happened. Yeah, and, and we're seeing this kind of process roll out with that meeting, like I mentioned here earlier today, uh, in London, where Foreign Affairs Minister uh, uh, Francois-Philippe Champagne met with the representatives of Ukraine, Sweden, Afghanistan, and Britain, all those five countries who were, uh, you know, dealing with victims from this plane crash, who are, you know, trying to figure out how this is going to move forward. Um, from, from the people you've talked to, from the politicians and, and you know, the, the, the pressers you've been attending, um, you know, how, how, what is the... Uh, optimism, I guess, that something can move on this very quickly. Is there any, or is this something that, you know, you had mentioned there's a lot of uncertainty. I, I get that. We don't know if it's going to take days, months, years, or whatever the case may be, but is there any optimism that things might happen sooner than later? Um, well, the government has sort of, uh, they've said that they, they, they're uh, they're cautiously optimistic, maybe it's fair to put it, about the access that Iran has been giving them. Iran has said, you know, they're, they're going to allow some people to look at the black boxes, um, they've allowed two Canadian in inspectors or investigators from the Transportation Safety Board into Iran. They have visas. They're going to be. They've already visited the crash site. They're going to be able to to uh, at least observe the investigation. They still want more access, but but uh, you know there has been some signs of cooperation from Iran. And I guess part of what I, I, my take on what they're doing with these other countries in London today is, is you know they have an agreement to sort of call as one voice. Um, to keep the pressure on Iran to participate with the international community in, in, in uh, being transparent about what happened. And even just behind the scenes, like, you know, the prime minister has been calling various leaders. I, I know last night he had a call with the UN secretary general. So I think the Canadians and, and other countries are trying to get sort of like international pressure on Iran to keep that up, to keep, uh, keep the pressure up and to talk sort of with a united voice with the other affected countries to, to ensure that Iran doesn't shut the door, doesn't block what they hope will be a, uh, an investigation they can take part in. Right on, Alex. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, but I really uh, thank you for, for taking the time here today to come on and speak with me. Always love talking to you, and uh, keep up the great work there. Yeah, thanks very much. No worries. Anytime. Awesome. That was uh, Toronto Star reporter Alex Ballingall. Uh, he is uh, based out of Ottawa. He's originally from here in Kamloops, so some, some local input on some national events there, and you can also check him out on Twitter at uh, Abalinga. That's uh, A-B-A-L-L-I-N-G-A, -L -L -A, so you can follow his stories and updates on this situation as it unravels uh, there on Twitter. Coming up after the break, the revitalization tax credit. Kamloops City Council has extended it to include new development, something that many in the business community feel will be a big help in attracting new business to the city. I'll be joined by the president of the Kamloops Chamber of Commerce next. The voice of your community. Radio NL 610 AM News Talk and RadioNL.com. Here's Jeff Andreas. Welcome back into the Jeff Andreas Show here on Thursday, January 16th. 
Uh, this week's Kamloops City Council meeting, amendments were made to both the City Centre and North Shore Revitalization Tax Exemption Bylaws, and they will now include new commercial development into the elig eligibility criteria. Previously, that tax only applied to improvements made to pre-existing commercial buildings, and they were eligible for a 10-year 100% tax exemption on that municipal portion of taxes. While it was felt that some changes could help improve the amount of development taking place. A revitalization tax exemption engagement group was established to explore some changes, which were eventually approved here this past Tuesday. I'm joined now by a member of that group. He's also the president of the Kamloops Chamber of Commerce, Mr. Joshua Neck. Josh, thanks so much for calling in here today. Thanks for having me. So we, we've talked about this RT in the past, and it sounded like it was coming, but now it is indeed official. So this exemption will include commercial development to receive that tax exemption of 100% of the increased value of improvements for a 10-year period, and uh, as opposed to you know just improvements made to pre-existing buildings. So a pretty big change that uh, you were in favor of and, and hoping to see this attract some new business. So uh, just your initial reaction to the fact that this has finally gone through. Yeah, I guess a, a, a very positive. I guess a couple things. One is this really simplifies things because actually you could get a partial exemption as long as there was some residential that was included and you could get an exemption if there was tech. Like it, it was it was just a very complicated sort of pieced together policy up to this point. And the fact that it now is, is you know, is far more encompassing, I think really simplifies it where where developers can can build for the market as opposed to trying to build for towards a specific exemption and and target a building that way. And the the other thing is, I think you know the fact that we haven't seen new purpose built commercial development in these areas since 2007 really suggests that it's, this isn't a situation where the city is giving up tax dollars that they would have otherwise you know naturally received um, because they haven't been uh, receiving those from from new development. So I, I think I think it's great. I think it's something that. Uh, that the uh, the development community has certainly been pushing for, and not just because it saves them dollars, but because it, it's it's really just uh, it, this this really will get passed along to uh, to potential tenants, particularly tenants where we're looking to get them to relocate from somewhere else, and we want to make sure that our market in Kamloops is as attractive as it possibly can be. Yeah, so when you're talking about attracting businesses and companies from elsewhere, uh, I know there were a number of other municipalities that had similar uh, tax exemptions in place. So I guess, are you feeling that this is going to really make a huge difference when talking to those people and being able to at least have them consider Kamloops now that, you know, we're sort of on a level playing field when it comes to this RTE? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it, it levels the playing field as far as that goes. And, uh, and then allows us to play to some of our more natural advantages like cost of living and, and some of the other considerations, right? But uh, with commercial leases, a commercial lease is typically called triple net, which means that the tenant pays the taxes directly. So if, if one's looking at a market like Kelowna for, you know, for $25 a square foot and they're looking at after you include the triple net and they're looking at Kamloops for $30 a square foot, you know, that, that's, that's a pretty hard thing to overcome. But it's something now that, uh, now that can, be, can be done. Um, you know, do you have any idea how detrimental, you know, not having this kind of um, uh, policy in place has been? Like, has there been, um, you know, from, has the chamber heard of a lot of uh, companies that might have considered coming here and might have considered building something in either the downtown or the North Shore, but just the fact that this, you know, kind of option wasn't available and somewhere else might have been more attractive? Have you have you heard of instances where maybe not having this kind of policy in place um, has, uh, you know, ended up costing Kamloops? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we have heard from developers. Um, I, I'm, I can think of one, and I, I, I can think of one where it was specifically referenced. It's just the cost of, you know, the cost of, of lease in general. But I think it's, it, it, when, when one's considering relocating a business, there's so many different factors that are considered that I, I, I don't think most companies would do it simply on the basis of one thing. What this does, though, is this, is this, is this levels up the playing field on this particular aspect. And, and allows us to compete head to head. And one thing I got to say, this this was something that the city really moved moved quickly on. Like from that task force, when that task force was formed, to to when this was uh, to when this change was implemented, is is really quite significant. And Mayor Ken Christian referenced that there's going to be more work done on this over the next little while, and we understand that. Um, and I think there's there's even you know he suggested uh, some some gradual shift in it, graduating this this, which which may be fair as well. But it was something where the city, uh, the administration, and council acted quickly, aware that there is a number of, uh, of purpose-built commercial developments that are being considered right now, and and this really allows uh, allows them to move forward under the best circumstances possible. Yeah, I had uh, the mayor Christian on here yesterday, and, and he spoke to some of those things that you had just mentioned. He wasn't uh, really in favor of this uh, move necessarily, but um, you know, as as with anything, any new policy, it should be reviewed, um, you know, to see how it can be improved or changed. And um, you know, one of the things he did discuss was potentially weaning it off so it's not the full ten year period of of that one hundred percent exemption. So we'll see what happens as this moves along and as this gets reviewed, and if any uh, you know major changes are made to the policy as it exists now. Um, one question I do have for you as well, Josh, I mean, we've heard um, from some people that there are some developers that are, that are kind of lined up and we're waiting for this kind of a tax exemption to be passed by city council. And, and, you know, now that it has been passed, hopefully that can see some more development move forward. Um, you know, have you heard of a lot of people who are now, you know, kind of waiting in the wings here and, and are ready to pounce now that this RTE has passed? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think uh, I'm aware of two purpose-built commercial buildings that, that were under consideration, and I think it's not just, you know, perhaps the developers that were waiting, but it was also some of the their anchor tenants that may have been waiting on this as well, because that's the first first question that uh, that tenants ask when they're when they're considering something is, you know, what what are my costs going to be? So I think, you know, I think there's 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 a few buildings that are coming up uh, in the very near future downtown and. Uh, and this also opens up options to, to some other developers because there may have been some that, you know, needed to put, uh, felt that they needed to, to target a specific industry or, or design a building a certain way. I think if we can get that high quality, that high quality commercial space, we will attract those businesses. And then the other thing that it does is it brings up the value of everybody around them. I mean, just, you know, think about if, if, uh, if a, you know, if a six story commercial building goes in right behind the, uh, the Delta Hotel, for instance, right? What will, what will that do for, for values and for the attractability of the businesses around that as well? I think it's, it's, a, it's a real win for, the, for the, core, the core areas. And I think that's another real strength of this, where Kamloops was specific in saying these are the areas that we want to see this kind of development and, and, and limiting it to those to, to really drive growth in specific areas that have transit, that have, uh, you know, that have housing around them that, that sort of builds towards that camp plan. Yeah, I think they, they definitely, um, you know, pinpointed the North Shore and the downtown for specific reasons. Um, and, and we'll see what happens here moving forward. Like you had mentioned, actually, you know, just the fact that if one starts, uh, one new building comes up, that might inspire another one to come up beside it. And, and then the spinoffs just kind of come as a result. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, do you have any idea how quickly something might move on this now that it's out there? I mean, uh, you know, potentially construction would start in the, in the fall or sorry, in the springtime, I would uh, imagine. But uh, I mean, you probably can't really say, but I'm just curious if you have any inklings of when, uh, you know, some movement might be made as a result of this? Do you think something could happen here in 2020? 
I, you know, I, I, none of these developments are anything that I'm involved in, so I yeah. certainly can't speak for the for the people that are. But but from what I'm, you know, from the ones that I'm aware of, I think there are two that are that are getting going right away, and I think that's uh, that'll be great. Awesome. Well, Josh, uh, I appreciate your time here on this. Uh, you are calling here from Edmonton. Maybe you want to let people know the kind of the weather there because it might make us feel a little better about what's happening here in Kamloops right now. It's uh, it's a balmy minus 28 degrees. I think it's minus 36 with the wind chill. So. Okay, Don't complain, so, in yeah, no, we're minus twenty, <laughs> minus twenty-three with the wind chill. That sounds warm compared to you right now. So, thank you for making me feel better. Anyway, thanks so much, Josh. Right. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. All right. Awesome. That was Josh Winack, the president of the Kamloops Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, so like I mentioned, I mean, we, we've heard some some different takes on this. Um, like I said, I had the, the mayor, Ken Christian, on here yesterday to talk about this issue, among others. Uh, they came out of council on Tuesday. He was one of the votes against the re revitalization tax exemption. So uh, here's a quick clip from Ken yesterday, just sort of going over his thoughts and why he was you know, somewhat opposed to this uh, RTE moving forward. I believe in less government, not more, and, and uh, the less government has to do with business decisions, I think, the better. But uh, that said, uh, Councillor uh, Mike O'Reilly brought this forward, and uh, there was an appetite on Council to uh, accept the additions to the revitalization bylaws that we have in place, and the commitment to review those in 2020. And, uh, you know, the, the sentiment of Council, uh, you know, was 6-2 uh, in, in favor of that, and uh, I think if that's the direction that we're going to go, uh, then we need to do it right. So let's look at, uh, you know, what other communities are doing. Look at perhaps a sliding scale for uh, tax exemption so that it's not the 100% for the 10 right. years, but rather we wean these projects off of uh, their tax exemption over a period of time. And uh, let's look at the boundaries. Uh, you know, it, it, the boundary here is about a block away from this station. Is that the right place to have that boundary or should we look at it citywide and you? Uh, use the uh, revitalization tax exemption to support some of the goals that we have in the, uh, you know, CAM plan about creating commercial nodes in some of the uh, more residential areas of the city so that we reduce our dependence on automobile transportation. So Ken obviously has some concern about the, the policy as it stands, uh, you know, d d does want to review it here moving forward. And I think that makes sense with any new policy that you put into place from a municipal government point of view. Anytime you add in any sort of new policy or, or bylaw in this case or, or make changes to a bylaw, it makes sense to review those and see how they can be improved, if they can be improved, um, you know, as though they continue to be in place. Councillor Michael Riley believes that this will be a real positive for the downtown and the North Shore. He was on uh, the NL Morning News yesterday and had this to say. I believe this is going to be uh, revolutionary for the downtown. Uh, this is going to be a game changer for the downtown on the North Shore. Um, the the city has done a fantastic job um, in helping people live downtown on the North Shore and play downtown on the North Shore. With the investment in parks and roads, uh, sidewalks, beautification, um, we've got all the new multifamily residential because they receive a tax exemption. Um, so it's really done extremely well. What has been missed is the work component. Um, to have people working in our core areas. And uh, and yesterday, Council made a decision, which I was very happy with, that uh, that we will be providing a tax exemption um, to new commercial buildings. And these aren't just, you know, uh, little convenience stores on the corner. We're talking about commercial incentives for four, five, six, ten-story office towers that will provide jobs where our OCP and where our downtown plan says they should be in Kamloops is in the downtown on the North Shore.
and uh, executive director of the Downtown Business Improvement Association, Carl DeSantis. He was on the NL News Day yesterday with Brett Manier, and, and not shockingly, he is also kind of on the same vein as uh, Michael Riley, uh, totally behind this move. I think it's a big incentive, actually. I think what we're going to see is uh, the Kamloops as a community is going to benefit from big city uh, commercial office space while enjoying our smaller city lifestyle. Um, this is absolutely going to be a catalyst for growth for our downtown community. And uh, there's going to be benefits in many regards, economic development. We're going to see job creation, attraction of new businesses to Kamloops. And uh, that, of course, is going to uh, introduce some more well-paying jobs and increase the tax base overall. This, this is just a fantastic decision uh, for downtown. So clearly uh, an appetite for many of our municipal and business leaders to see this exemption granted in order to help promote new building in these two core areas, attract new companies, welcome new investment, and uh, this is a move that will hopefully make Kamloops more competitive with, like I mentioned earlier, those other similized, similar-sized cities um, that have these kind of tax exemptions in place as we do fight uh, to house those businesses here in our community. So we'll see what happens here moving forward. Council passed the RTE here this past Tuesday, and uh, now we'll, we'll see what happens next as we approach that construction season. If we do see any new development coming, um, we'll, we'll see if we can attribute it to this move. Coming up after the break, are we going to finally get a little bit of a break here from this bitter cold? Are we? No, no. but seriously, though, like, are we going to get some breaks here? Because I'm, I'm kind of tired of this weather. Well, we'll be talking with Environment Canada after this. Your opinion. Call or text 250-374-5345. Find us on Facebook or on Twitter at Radio NL News. This is Jeff Andreas on RadioNL.com. Welcome back to the show here on Thursday the 16th. Today's temperature, high minus 11, wind chill minus 19 this afternoon. Tomorrow, high minus 11, wind chill minus 18 in the afternoon. Now, that is better than what we have been seeing here in Kamloops. If you if you don't like that bitter cold weather, then, of course, it is, in fact, better than what we've seen over the last number of days when those temperatures were in the minus 20s, those wind chills even approaching those minus 30 temperatures. So uh, very, very cold. It seems like we're getting a little bit warmer here. And uh, come the weekend, it looks like we're going to warm up even further. So here to talk about this now is Environment Canada meteorologist Bobby Seiko. And Bobby, thanks so much for uh, joining me here. Hi, good morning, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so, okay, let's just start by taking a quick look back here. So we've seen some pretty cold weather here, I believe, the last, you know, four or five days. Uh, you know, we're all kind of sick of it from everyone I've spoken to. Um, can you maybe just give me a quick summary of what we've seen over the last four or five days here? And, you know, have we broken any records when it comes to this bitter cold? It's certainly been cold around Kamloops, and, uh, you know, it's surprising to know that there's, it's actually not record cold. The records are all in the minus 30s for this time of year. However, we have seen temperatures below minus 20 since Monday, pretty much. So that's, uh, that's been quite exceptional, four straight mornings of minus 20 or less. And uh, comparing that to last February's cold snap, where we had extended period of cold weather, we didn't really have this four consecutive days of below minus 20. So in that sense, this, uh, this current cold snap is a little exceptional. So definitely makes sense that, uh, you know, why we might be complaining about the weather more than normal here in Kamloops, because it is colder than it normally would be, especially for an extended period of time. Um, 
So with that said, I mean, what are we looking at here in the next couple of days? Things are, like I had mentioned off the top, getting a little bit warmer here moving forward. Um, you know, highs of minus 11 today and tomorrow, and then things start to warm up even more uh, beyond that. So, uh, you know, what, what's happening here in terms of this system, in terms of this Arctic cold that we feel like we're getting? Um, it's, it sounds like it's on its way out here. Absolutely. It looks like the, the Arctic air is retreating. The coldest air is already um, kind of left. We'll still have some cool days here, but gradual warming into the weekend. Now, when, as we transition into a warmer air mass, we can often get some snow. And so we're not expecting a whole lot of snow, but definitely Friday night into Saturday is a good chance of snow. Might get a couple centimeters. And uh, that can be a little bit dangerous on the roads when you get snow on top of the already frozen ice that's uh, on, on the ground. So it'll be something to watch as we transition to um, relatively warm temperatures this weekend. Yeah, and, and the, as we look ahead here to, to Sunday, I mean, Saturday minus 4 and, and uh, you know, that chance of flurries and then, uh, like you had mentioned, but then into Sunday afternoon, I mean, we're looking at highs of minus 3 and the plus temperatures really for the next four days beyond that. I mean, it looks like some really, really comfortable weather here when we're talking about the middle of January. So, um, you know, what are, what are we looking at exactly here? Why is uh, this uh, extreme warming seem to be coming at this point in time? What's causing this? Yeah, so we're, we're switching from what was uh, kind of air from the Arctic and the more northerly flow to more of a, a southerly push, and so that's bringing up warmer temperatures. And so, yeah, it's going to be a stark contrast to what we've seen this week, and sometimes the cold air can stick around a little bit longer than expected. However, at some point, either later this weekend or early next week, you know, it's very realistic to be breaking the zero mark. And is that is that something that uh, you know is is pretty common here for for the Kamloops area? I'm not someone who spent uh, you know who's been here for a full year yet, so this is all kind of new to me when talking about January weather. Um, you know, are plus temperatures pretty normal for this time of year, or is this sort of uh, you know out of the norm? That's a good question. You know, our our average high this time of year is minus one. Average low is minus eight. However, it's not very often that we hit those averages because either it'll be higher than average or lower than average, and those kind of equal each other out and and we get to this middle point which we call the average but uh yeah certainly we we have wild temperature swings in the interior with uh, the lack of the ocean moderating things so uh yeah definitely we can get these cold snaps followed by you know some warming and vice versa so yeah certainly uh, don't expect winter to be done we could still get into some cold snap but uh it looks to be warming next week yeah and, and you had mentioned too when we're comparing the better cold we've experienced here this week well that was kind of the case uh, last year in February, so uh, we're still uh, at least a month away from kind of seeing the tail end of that sort of uh, potential for those kinds of systems, right? This this uh, colder than normal weather is is really possible until at least uh, probably probably come March, right? Absolutely, and uh, like you mentioned, last February was super cold. It was cold for quite some time as well. So, uh, I mean, we're not out of the woods yet, of course. I mean, uh, you know, we're just midway through winter, and so uh, definitely keep an eye on the forecast as we move forward and uh, look out for any more Arctic outbreaks coming. I will. I'll be keeping my eye out because I want to be ready because nothing, uh, nothing's worse than being unprepared for some of these cold temperatures. It's, uh, it's not good to be outside when you're not ready to, to, to deal with it. So thanks so much for coming on, Bobby. Always appreciate speaking to you, and uh, we'll do this again. Sure. Take care. Bye now. Bye-bye. That was uh, Environment Canada meteorologist Bobby Sacone just talking a little bit about what we can expect here moving forward. Like you mentioned, you know, uh, things are going to start warming up as we look here into next week. Sunday high of plus three, 
Monday high of plus three, Tuesday and Wednesday highs of plus two. So uh, definitely sounds a little bit nicer than what we've been dealing with here over the last little while. So uh, looking forward to a, a bit of a break here from this bitter cold weather. Um, also, when we're talking about the weather here, um, the city of Kamloops has started to remove some of that snow that's accumulated on major streets. Uh, streets manager Glenn Farrow says that work began in the downtown core last night and then uh, possibly going to move into the Tronquille corridor starting next week. And uh, time permitting, crews will also be working on those bus routes, especially in those higher elevations where, of course, we have seen more snow accumulation. Well, that about wraps things up for me here today. So I'd like to thank all of my guests for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to all of you for listening. And remember, whether you join me here for a short while or a long while, just know that I enjoyed our time while it lasted. I'll be back here tomorrow at 9.